With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is the champion of this week's streamer showdown on Gabby's channel, Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I still don't quite know what happened on the streamer showdown. <laughs> well, you'll just have to go back and watch the VOD or the YouTube video, though I know you probably won't do that. Yeah, uh, there's this weekly or maybe it's bi-weekly kind of like magic game show thing. Uh, you can check these folks out at uh, their Twitter handle is stream showdown or twitch.tv slash streamer showdown. And it's basically, yeah, like a magic game show with questions about cards or decks or there's like a pictionary round where you have to try and draw like get people to guess the art of another card which i was so horrifically bad at um but i i came in clutch got the last question right and was able to score the w what was the last question uh it was like this uh card reveal for like decks in standard and so it was like castle vantress and then opt and then chemistry's insight and then they showed growth spiral oh, oh wait, wait 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 oh, wait 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 i'm not gonna reveal oh. it i'm just saying they so they said growth spot they they showed growth spiral and that's when i rang in i was gonna guess just guy fires initially mm. and then growth spiral what is bant something i have no idea bant food team of reclamation team yeah definitely i'm very up on my standard decks yeah i mean i was watching the mc all weekend and i think like months of fandom commentating certainly helped in that respect I will say my favorite thing right now about podcasting is the advent of Pioneer. I'm really liking the Arena Decklists and Pro Points discussion of Pioneer, despite never having played a game of the format. Yeah, I was watching Strong Sad, uh, Tata Anderson's stream, I guess it was last weekend when he got second in the Pioneer PTQ and he's playing his mono green ramp deck. This was like before the first round of bannings. It's it's fun format to watch. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying listening to podcasts about it. Pioneer aside, Ben, we got to talk about Throne of Eldraine Limited. What's going on in the world of Ben drafts these days? Well, on the leaderboard, I am only one more draft deep. But on the <laughs> marching band leaderboard, marching band second place in the state. Can we get some air horns, please? Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, pretty sweet result. Uh, so consequently, I'm only one more draft deep. And it was an O2 after like 15 hours of marching band on Saturday and getting up at 3 a.m. for a 4.15 a.m. call time. Yikes. But so 62 and 24 overall, still nine trophies and down to a 70% win rate. Yeah, I've got 120 drafts under my belt, 244 to 108 win loss, 38 trophies, 69% win rate. The drafts have been a little tough 
this week for me. I think white has felt less open than it's been in the past, which I am very thankful for. Um, and I think there's a part of me that's, I think, trying to be a little bit more experimental than normal, or maybe trying to lean into like, I want to take this Rose Thorn Acolyte so I can splash kind of thing. I think we've entered that stage of the format. So I may be sabotaging my own drafts <laughs> as well these days. Yeah, I just drafted a sweet blue green. I got the secret keeper innkeeper deck you were talking about. I've got a, a sweet blue green mill deck. Oh, nice. That should be awesome. Yep. Up 1-0 and look, looking like I'm going to trophy. Wow. Just calling it now. <laughs> two two mean, rounds to go. Deck feels powerful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Merfolk Secret Keeper and Edgewell Keeper are powerful magic cards. All right. So we are recording this on Sunday night. The end of Mythic Championship 6 is behind us, but that does not mean we're not going to dissect some limited portion of the weekend. So we're going to be looking at the day one feature draft, looking at all eight drafts. You know, they do this like around the table feature where you can go three picks deep. And we'll also be looking at the two feature drafters in particular. So we got to see their entire drafts as well. And we'll be just throwing our, you know, pleb casual criticisms and and compliments as well as we go through those. But before we get into any of that, got to talk about the Lords of Limited Patreon, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can give back to the show if you so choose. Everyone who gives back to the show gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. It was really sweet, as it is every weekend, to see folks competing in the GP and the MC this weekend, especially folks who were competing in their first Mythic Championship. Getting to see those Mythic Championship decks posted in Twitter after the drafts were over was really cool yeah absolutely so we have the discord which is always popping always very fresh really really just the best place on the internet for limited content we have some higher tier donation options for you to get some higher tier rewards as well all that available on our patreon page and of course each and every week we want to welcome new folks to the patreon this week we're going to be welcoming michael s jt benjamin michael a and bow thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah, cannot say thank you enough and just want to reiterate how awesome the Discord is at keeping me in touch with Magic while I have not been able to play as much as I would like during Marching Man season, but no longer, baby. I'm going to be grinding those drafts. Stat. He's back. As you all well know by now, Lords of Limited is also partnered with Coalesce Apparel and Design, Magic's apparel company of choice. And as part of that, we've got a gift code for you to get 10% off your order, which pertains to any apparel on their website, not just our sweet, sweet Lords of Limited merchandise. So you can head on over to coalesceapparel.shop, pick up your hashtag I'm with Ethan or your hashtag I'm with Ben t-shirt, choose your side and get one of the comfiest Magic the Gathering tees out there. So Watsy coverage is not making this the easiest for us to do these days. You know, back in the day, Ben, you remember when they used to post like the featured draft table, you got to see all 45 picks of all eight players at, at the table. And it was glorious and they should bring that back ASAP. So now we have the around the table segments that the coverage team does, which is great, though they only did one for day one this time around. Normally they do one for both days, which is a little disappointing. But we also get these articles that break down the 3-0 drafts from day one and the more importantly, or maybe not more importantly, but like going further than that uh, on day two, following up on the people who 6-0'd the limited portion of the MC and seeing like what they did or maybe any trends uh, to that respect. So anything that sticks out here for you, Ben, in terms of the stats of like the 3-0 draft metagame from day one? Yeah, I think just the sheer variety. So white green at the top with 10 3-0s, blue black with nine, white black with eight, green black with seven, blue red six, blue green four. And then just the fact that there's more than 10 archetypes here, right? There are 15 different archetypes represented here, which is just a testament to the depth and how awesome this format is. Yeah, I agree with that. So we're not seeing, save for one Mardu Knights deck at the bottom there, uh, we're not seeing any three color decks. So really seeing two color decks and mono color decks being the thing, which I 
think you know bears out with our experience of the format. Yes, absolutely. And monocolored decks represented as well. Sam Black trophied with mono red on day one. Ken Yukihiro trophied with mono blue mill. Must have been practicing with those arena bots. Mm-hmm. So you can do it. You can do it IRL at the highest levels of competition as well. And shout out to previous guest of the show, Andrew Cuneo, on not only six owing the limited portion of the Mythic Championship, but for top eighting with hashtag not Oko. Yeah, I think he now has the record for the longest range of time between PT top eights as well. I think the last time was I saw something on Twitter. I don't want to say it wrong. I think it was 2001 or something. Oh, wow. 2003, maybe. It was super fun to get to watch him this weekend. Uh, he had the nastiest start I've ever seen to a game of magic with his Selesny Adventures deck. I'm going to tell it to you right now. Lay it on me. Turn one, Edgewall Innkeeper. Turn two, Edgewall Innkeeper, Giant Killer, draw two cards. Turn three, Flaxen Intruder, draw two cards. Innkeeper number three, Giant Killer, draw three cards. Tap five creatures, convoke Loxodon. Ooh. That's turn three. Wow. Yeah, it was the grossest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> That's pretty decent. Yeah, pretty decent. So it was awesome to get to cheer him on for the weekend. All right, well, let's dive into some drafts here from the Mythic Championship. That's enough reminiscing about Standard, Pioneer, and whatnot. Let's get down to business. All right, yeah, business is on the docket here. So we're going to take a look at the featured draft pod from day one of the Mythic Championship. And to start us off here, we're going to look at Jessica Estefan's draft. So we'll be referring to the players by number. We'll start with Jess as player number one. And then as we go around the table clockwise, we'll go player two, three. Of course, at the start of the draft, we'll say their name, but I think it'll be easier as we refer to like what people were passing or maybe what people might have sent as signals or should have been in, et cetera, et cetera. I think it'll be easier to refer to them just by their numbers at the table. So Jessica Estefan starting off as player number one looks down. Cracking your first pack at Mythic Championship 6, Ben. How are you feeling? I'm feeling nervous, excited, confident in my ability to read the table and draft a good deck in this format. No worries about getting cut. Awesome. So your first pack shows you the following cards as options in terms of commons that we're interested in. We see a trapped in the tower and a fairy guide mother. Uh, Moving on to the uncommons, there's a Merrileaf Pixie. That's the green blue 2-2 flyer. Taps for a green or a blue. Bog Naughty. This is three black black for a 3-3 flyer. You can pay two and a black to sack a food to give a creature minus three minus three until end of turn. Where are you at with Bog Naughty these days? I'm a little lower on Bog Naughty than the rest of the world, I think. Bog Naughty doesn't pull me into the food deck. I have Bog Naughty as like a good C plus in the food deck. Yeah, I think that's true. And I also have Bognati. I essentially think of it as it costs three black green. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's where I'm at. I think I might agree with you on being lower on it. And then uh, Jessica's rare here is Charming Prince, one and a white for a 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, you choose one of the following three. You can either scry two, gain three life, or you can exile a creature. This, this templating is so weird. This is exile a creature you own. And then it comes back into play at the end, at the beginning of the next end step. So like if your opponent has like stolen something with like opportunistic dragon or whatever, you can exile that. Nice. Yeah. I did not realize that that was the text on this card. So I think looking at this pack, I think Trapped in a Tower is better than Guide Mother pack one, pick one. Mm-hmm. I'm not on Bog Naughty. I think it's too narrow, too clunky. Mara Leaf Pixie is probably the most powerful card, but I don't love starting off with a gold card in this format if I can avoid it. And I think Trapped in the Tower and Charming Prince are close enough in power level to Mara Leaf Pixie that I'm willing to take a single colored card here. And then comparing those two, I think I like Trapped in a Tower more than I like Charming Prince. It's very close. 
but I think the removal spell edges it out for me here. Yeah, I, I, I've played with Charming Prince quite a bit, and I think I'm higher on it than most people. Uh, Beers SC, who is often in my Twitch chat, he's a member of our Discord. He's always high atop the trophy leaderboard on Magic Online. Uh, he also is not as high on this card as I am. I think he's got it probably at about, I don't know, C+. Plus. Uh, for me, it's in the B-, minus B range, uh, just like rock solid 2-mana two 2-2. Two two. And the, the different modes are always so relevant. Scry 2 is very close to draw a card. Um, but I, I agree. I think it's very close between Charming Prince and Trapped in the Tower. Yeah. What did Jessica land up on here? She landed on the rare. You know, it's the Mythic Championship. You got to go for the gold there. That makes sense. All right. So moving on to pack one, pick two. She's got a Rose Thorn Acolyte, a So Tiny, and a Charmed Sleep at Common. And then Covetous Urge at Uncommon. That's the Demir Hybrid uh, four mana sorcery. You look at uh, target player's hand, and then you can choose a card from their hand or graveyard, exile it, and then you can cast that for as long as it remains exiled, spend mana of any color as though it were the mana to cast that spell. Do you know how this card interacts with uh, adventures, Ben? I do not. So if you exile an adventure creature with covetous urge you can cast either half and if you cast the adventure part of the creature it goes into exile for you not for your opponent but then you have to use the colored mana that that card requires to cast it interesting yeah and then after covetous urge there is another uncommon here in sir alan the lion's claw the three white white four four first striker when it attacks gives all other creatures you control plus one plus one until end of turn yeah so looking probably to follow up either charming prince or trapped in a tower with a white card here in sir allen immediately ruling out all the commons because covetous urge is just more powerful than all of them here early in the pack Mm -hmm. so trying to decide between sir allen and covetous urge covetous urge is definitely higher upside but i think they're close enough in power level that i would take sir allen to go along with my first pick white card here rather than branching out in Covetous Urge. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a pretty pretty clear Sir Allen here. Pick three. She's got uh, Brimstone Trebuchet, Reaper of Night, Run Away Together as the best commons in the pack, and a nice on-color uncommon here in Shepherd of the Flock. Yeah, so none of the commons really of interest here at all. I think Shepherd of the Flock as the 3-1 And then, you know, the adventure that can return a permanent you control to its owner's hand at instant speed just as the single best card in the pack and matches up in color with our first two picks. So I think I'm on Shepherd of the Flock here. Yeah. And how are you feeling right now with the start of uh, white card, white card, white card? I'm feeling great. I love white. I think other people underrate white. Feels like I could potentially take advantage of that at the Mythic Championship. Yeah. Let's see if you can. Pick four. You see a Ginger Brute. Shining Armor is the only white card to speak of in the pack. Barrow Witches. Curious pair, and then at uncommon, Cauldron Familiar. Yeah, not the most exciting pack if these are the cards we're shouting out here. So I think things that stick out to me, Barrow Witches potentially to go along with white cards in a white black knights theme. Barrow Witches gives your deck some grind. Ginger Brute I found to be exciting in a mono white deck if you get things like all the glitters to augment it. Cauldron Familiar probably not going to do much work in a white black deck is my guess. Otherwise, I would maybe be interested in taking a flyer on that here. So coming down to Ginger Brute or Barrow, which is here for me, and I think I'm going to take the Ginger Brute and just stay open and take it with the knowledge that if I don't find ways to augment it, it's probably not going to make the cut. 
I agree 100% with that. And Jess also agrees and grabbed Ginger Brute. We're now four for four with Jess here. Uh, pick five, there's a Beloved Princess as the only white card in the pack. There's a Scalding Cauldron, a Runaway Together, Barge In, Garen Brig Paladin, and then at Uncommon, another Merrileaf Pixie. Interesting. So I think Scalding Cauldron sticks out as something that goes along with our white cards. Although with Beloved Princess being the only white card in the pack, I'm starting to get a little nervous here about my all-white start. Merrileaf Pixie definitely sticking out as probably about the time it should go in the pack here. And then none of the other commons I think are good enough to push me off of what I've already got going on. So I think I'm trying to decide between Scalding Cauldron and Marleaf Pixie. And I think I'm going to land on Scalding Cauldron, although with the knowledge that I may be needing to jump ship on white here if things keep going the way they're going. But I'm not quite willing to take Marleaf Pixie here when there's a reasonable enough card in Scalding Cauldron. Yeah, Scalding Cauldron has gone down for me from where we were at, especially in our monocolored episode uh, about four weeks ago. Um, And I don't particularly like it in these aggressive white decks. I find it to be a little clunky. And the things that white decks need to deal with aren't generally small threats because you usually can deal with small threats with like you're on alert or just your creatures trading off in combat, that sort of thing. What really you generally need to be able to deal with is like their big five drop blocker. Like that's where you need like the trapped in a tower or whatever. You can't really do that with Cauldron, but I still think it's the appropriate pick here. Well, I do like it because it sits on the battlefield too for Flutterfox. I think it's got some use there. Sure. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Uh, So now we've got three white cards, a couple one mana artifacts going on to pick six. There's a Merchant of the Veil, a Garenbrig Carver, that's the three two with the plus two plus two adventure trick uh fortifying provisions signpost scarecrow and your favorite rare ben escape to the wilds the three red green sorcery exile the top five cards of your library you can play them until the end of your next turn and you can also play an additional land this turn yeah card is not great <laughs> it's really not it's unexplained visions people don't let anyone else tell you otherwise uh so no white cards here again so that that those feelers that had gone up going up even a little bit further that we might need to jump ship on white so I think I'm going to take the card that I think goes best with the white cards that I've got so far in Garenbrig Carver. I think that's a natural pairing with the aggressive white cards we've got so far. The plus two plus two combat trick part of Garenbrig Carver, super relevant in an aggressively slanted white deck, maybe gives us outs to going into green white as sort of an even split if white is going to be cut. And maybe we can reap the rewards of picking up some white in pack two and then filling out the green in our deck in packs one and three. That's what I would be thinking here, taking this Garenbrig Carver. What did Jessica land on? She also landed on that, and I agree with your explanation. So six for six. Can you and I just be invited to the MPL already? (laughs) Uh, I think we may see some disagreements with some other MPLers that may get us kicked out immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to pick seven, uh, we see another Garenbrig Carver, a Barge In, and a Prized Griffin as the, the notable cards in the pack. Yeah, nothing too exciting here. Honestly, this is pretty close between Garenbrig Carver and Prized Griffin. I think I'm on Garenbrig Carver here over Prized Griffin. I'm worried that white is not super open, and I don't love picking up my second five drop along with Sir Allen already. But like, why would, but green's not open. You haven't seen Outmuscles or Witchstalkers or, I mean, I guess you saw a Paladin, like what was that, fourth or fifth went the Cauldron? I don't know. I I think I like Prize Griffin more than like everybody. So I'm not that mad to take it here. I I hear your worries about five drops. And I think there's, you know, as to play devil's advocate to myself, there's something to be said about taking Prized Griffin. Like if white's open, you're going to get Prized Griffin. So you don't need to take it here. But like, 
Garen Brig Carver is also not the most exciting card. I agree, but let me float this idea at you. I feel like these Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. I feel like these packs have been pretty underpowered, which makes it harder to read signals. Like the cards we've been naming Mm. have not been good cards. So I think we're just like, so Garenbrig Paladin into Garenbrig Carver into Garenbrig Carver feel like some signs to me. And the white has been pretty shallow the last few packs. That's true. We haven't seen a tactician. We haven't seen a flutter fox. We haven't seen a trapped save for our first pick. So I think that's all reasonable uh, to to point out. I think it's close. And I, I don't think you're going super wrong either way. I just prefer the carver there myself. Yeah, just grabbed the prize griffin here staying white and then Pack eight, she's pretty happy to see another prize griffin and an outflank as the two cards to choose between. Ooh, yeah. Snapping up outflank there as some cheap interaction. That card has gone way up for me, and I'm starting to actually see it in packs now, which is a plus. <laughs> big, big win there. Uh, so rounding out the pack here, you can see on the wheel... She sees a Garenberg Squire, a Shining Armor, and a Thrill of Possibility, all clunkers. Both of the good white cards are gone, the Trapped in the Tower and the Fairy Guide Mother. Trapped being gone is not that big of a surprise, but I wouldn't think it'd be crazy for Guide Mother to wheel based on what's been happening on Magic Online a lot of the time. But she landed on Shining Armor here, I guess, just to, to cut white, and then just rounds the pack out with a bunch of medium to bad white cards, Bartered Cow, Fortifying Provisions, another Shining Armor, Beloved Princess, and another Fortifying provision. So like they're white cards, but they're not good white cards. Right. But she gets lucky here at the start of pack two, opens up a Realm Cloaked Giant. Uh, Throughout pack two, she gets two copies of Fireborn Knight. That's the Boros uh, hybrid card, the two, three double striker. Uh, that's at the end of pack two. And then the pack three, pick one, she gets a resolute riders and that really solidifies her into mono white. I went basically pick for pick with her throughout the entire draft. The biggest disagreement I had was in pack two, pick two, she had the option between a second copy of Sir Allen and the first copy of trapped in the tower. And with her having three, five drops already in Sir Allen, a prized Griffin and realm cloaked giant and the fact that she could probably get more prized griffins if she wants like i think she really needed to pick up the two mana interaction and trapped in the tower there agree with that yeah when i was watching this live i was on trapped in a tower as well and i was a little surprised to see her take the second sir allen yeah I mean, I think that there's something to be said about like just on raw power level, Sir Allen is better than, but once you're, you're getting into the middle of pack two and having to consider your, your decks options there, uh, I think, yeah, that the Rugal spell is what she would have wanted. I don't even know that that's that true. I think Sir Allen's pretty close to trapped in a tower in power level. I think it's close, but clear for me, pack one, pick one. I, I, I would not, I would not hesitate to take Sir Allen over trapped pack one, pick one. Yeah, that's fair. Sir Allen has gone way down for me over the course of the format. Oh, why is that? It just is clunky. It feels like it's difficult to go wide. Maybe this is just like why me syndrome, but it feels like it's very easy to interact with as far as like getting bounced and you get no value. I don't know. It just feels kind of clunky to me. Yeah, uh, it's not been my experience, but that's fair. So we'll have a image or link to all the deck picks of all the players here. So we've got Jess's final deck here. And I think I would have built this deck a little differently based on how her draft shook out. She has two ginger brutes here and a lock gargoyle in the one drop slot. And I think those are primarily there to turn on her two flutter foxes. Just didn't quite get there on other good artifacts. Like she's running a shining armor and a weapon rack to try and beef those up as well or get those into the sky. But I just don't really like running ginger brute when you have no way to augment them. Get the weapon rack. Oh yeah. The weapon rack, my favorite. 
bad cards to make your bad cards better. That's right. Uh, so she did end up in mono white and her deck went to one. Yeah, I think she drafted her seat very well. Sweet. Uh, why don't you take us through to player number two? Player number two is Matt Schmaltz. And sitting down in his seat, you open your first pack and you see the following cards as options. There's a golden egg beanstalk giant the giant that has power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control and the adventure for two and a green to search up a land and put it onto the battlefield there's drown in the lock the blue black gold uncommon hybrid counter target spell with converter mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in its controller's graveyard or destroy target creature with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in its controller's graveyard there's a burning yard trainer four and a red for the three three haste trample knight that gives another knight plus two plus two and trample until end of turn when it etbs and happily ever after is your rare pretty unplayable there you're not going to try and remember what happily ever after does I am not. <laughs> That's right. I also could not tell you what that. I know the first line is each player draws a card and gains five life, but that, I don't know the rest of the stuff. All right. So I think for me, it comes down to Beanstalk Giant and Golden Egg pretty quickly. Um, Drown in the Lock, Burning Yard Trainer, not really in consideration for me for pack one, pick one. Uh, though I have come up on Burning Yard Trainer quite a bit uh, in aggro red night decks. Um, I think Beanstalk Giant is more powerful in my mind than Golden Egg, even though Golden Egg does give you a lot of flexibility. Um, So I think I would land on the Beanstalk Giant here. Yeah, I agree with that. I would be on Beanstalk Giant as well. And I think it gives you a certain amount of flexibility as well with the ability to splash pretty much unlocked once you pick up that and one other card. Mm -hmm. I agree. So yeah, Matt agrees and landed on Beanstalk Giant here. Moving on to pack one, pick two, see the following cards as options. There's Trapped in a Tower that Jessica passed, Fairy Guide Mother, Bog Naughty, and the Maraleaf Pixie from Jessica's pack. I would be between Maraleaf Pixie and Trapped in the Tower here, personally. Uh, Trapped in the Tower being, I think, you know, we were close between that and Charming Prince and uh, Jess's first pick. So, you know, I think that would then be the most powerful card here, or at least the most, like, flexible slash powerful card here because it's one color. So Maraleaf Pixie goes up a little bit with us having Beanstalk Giant. That goes in the green-blue, like, ramp game plan with Maraleaf Pixie. So it's pretty close, but I think I would land on Trapped in the Tower just being a single-colored card. Interesting, yeah. I'm also choosing between Marley Pixie and Trapped in a Tower, but I think I'm gonna land on Marley Pixie here. I'm feeling feeling a little greedy. Wow. I don't think I'm gonna I don't think I'm gonna miss a Trapped in the Tower. And I think Beanstalk Giant much prefers to be in green black, green blue base than green white base. I mean, it's still fine in green white adventures. Sure, yeah. Matt landed on the bog naughty here, hoping to maybe spike some green black food. Yeah, I mean, if you think about Bognati as a green-black gold card with the, with having Beanstalk Giant in your pile already, it's not unreasonable, I don't think. No, certainly not. Moving on to pack one, pick three, you see the following cards as options. There's a So Tiny, a Charmed Sleep, Rosethorn Acolyte, Covetous Urge at Uncommon, and the rare still in the pack, Castle Garenbrig, not really in consideration here. Very, very close to a forest, about the closest to a basic land as that cycle is. Uh, this is pretty interesting, actually. So Covetous Surge is the like most powerful card in a vacuum in this pack. Depending on the routes that you went down, like if you went your route, Beanstalk Giant, Merrileaf Pixie, I think it's really close here. I mean, I think you probably land on Rosethorn Acolyte because that just like solidifies you in a sweet green ramp strategy with like acolyte and beanstalk giant as pieces of fixing early on in the draft but you could also take a so tiny as like cheap interaction or charmed sleep though i think you and i would both take the first so tiny over the first charmed sleep 
Absolutely. I think with Matt's route or even with my route of going Beanstalk Giant into Trapped in the Tower, I might be tempted by Covetous Urge here as just the like most raw, powerful card in the pack and just trying to keep my op- options open. Yeah, I think even if I had taken Maraleaf Pixie second, I would still be on Covetous Urge as the best card in the pack. Although there is something tempting about the Rose Thorn Acolyte and just knowing that the world is your oyster. Yeah. I just don't really think that's the optimal strategy in the format. So I think I would still be trying to find my lane. Yeah, that's fair. So Matt agreed and snapped up Covetous Urge. And if we take a look at his deck, ended up in a green-black food deck with a record of one and two. That looks a little bit disappointing to me for what I look at when I see this deck. There's a Piper of the Swarm at rare. There's an Epic Downfall as a great piece of removal. You've got a couple out muscles as more removal at Deathless Knight. I mean, there's there's not significant power here, but this looks like an above average deck. I would expect a 2-1 with this deck. The things that I wish we could see from these around the table segments is what the players' mana bases were. I know we've lamented that in the past, but I really lament it here in this format where like the difference between playing 18 or 17 or 16 lands, 16 being I think rarely correct, uh, is pretty big. And then also what players decide to do in terms of their mana distribution. Like is Matt running like 9-8 here or 10-7? Like is he correctly playing in a forest to try and add him an out muscle and paladin that's kind of hard with him having like smitten sword master and piper of the swarm you know like i, I wonder what his mana base looked like i would assume 10 8 in favor of green he's got 22 playables here 22 yeah 10 8 yeah i, I think i might be even tempted by 11 7 there but yeah that, that's interesting especially with the beanstalk giant as like a flex like a fake additional swamp there but yeah, I that think, makes sense to me. I think one, two is a little disappointing. I agree with that. Moving around the table to player number three, we've got Alexei Shashov. Pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. Scorching Dragonfire, Grumgully the Generous, Slaying Fire, Thalmire Knight. So three rock solid uncommons there. And then your rare is Gilded Goose. Yeah, Gilded Goose is just insane. I think better than all three of these uncommons pretty clearly here. And the pick for me. Are you taking Gilded Goose over Sir Conrad? I Man, that pick's super close. Are you on Sir Conrad as the best uncommon now? I think I am, yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. That's a really hard pick. I think I would be on Gilded Goose just because I think they're similar power level and Gilded Goose is so much cheaper. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at too. And that is where Alexei landed. If it's good enough for standard, it's good enough for limited. That's what they always say. Gilded Goose, pack one, pick one. Pack two, we see the cards and a little bit more from uh, from the previous pack one for Matt. There's Golden Egg unexplained vision drown in the lock and burning yard trainer yeah so i think drown in the lock is the best card in the pack here doesn't go super well with gilded goose and as such i think i'm just on golden egg here to solidify you know staying open opens up a splash between the goose and the golden egg you got a flavor win i just feel like you know you can't go wrong with the golden egg I agree. And I would have landed on the golden egg too. Alexei grabbed drown in the lock. I think drown in the lock is deceptively underpowered. Like, I don't think it's a bad card, but I think you got to work for it. Like a lot of those, the blue cards like this, I think even Vantress Gargoyle at rare, a lot of these cards that are like powerful, you got to work for with some didn't say pleases or some merfolk secret keepers. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And then pack three, he's got the options of Trapped in the Tower, Fairy Guide Mother, and Merrileaf Pixie. Yeah, I think none of these go particularly well with a start that Alexi's got going on here. I think for me, if I'd gone Goose in a Golden Egg, I would take Maraleaf Pixie here. I think the idea of ramping and splashing potentially, I, I've really come up on Blue Green as an archetype a lot. 
with Alexi's route through the draft so far, I think I would take trapped in a tower just to try to have as many options as possible since I don't have a super clear start to the draft. Yeah, that's what he landed on as well, grabbing the trapped. After those three picks sort of all over the place, green card, blue, black, gold card, and a white card, he landed up in blue, white, but it's just sort of like blue, white stuff. This is the 03 deck of the pod, and I believe he was playing against Shahar round one on coverage, uh, and I was sort of noting while I was doing my like casual commentary co-stream that I felt like, not even seeing this full deck list, but I felt like he had cards that sort of seemed all over the place. Like Vantress Gargoyle in particular sticks out in this deck to me because in blue-white aggressive decks, and I've had this experience myself where I've had Vantress Gargoyle early in a draft, I end up in this like blue-white aggressive deck and I feel like I need to cut it because you don't have the card draw. Now Alexi does have an unexplained vision in the deck, but you don't often have the card draw for it and your spells are also cheap that Gargoyle is going to come down and not be able to block for you know, most of the game, I would imagine. And then it's also not going to be able to attack for a long time, potentially like not going to be able to attack until after you hope you've won the game already. So there's just a lot of tension in this deck here, I think. Also worth noting that Alexi correctly moved off of green and abandoned his first pick rare because player two passing to him was in fact green and green black. Yeah, true. Moving on to our next drafter, Paul Coulier is in seat four and sits down and sees the following cards as options in the pack one pick one. There's a Garenberg Paladin, Merchant of the Veil, and then moving on to uncommons, there's a red cap melee, single red instant speed, deal four damage to a creature, and if it was not red, you have to sacrifice a land. Rampart Smasher, the Gruel hybrid card, 5-5, five, five, can't be blocked by knights or walls. And your rare, my favorite, Escape to the Wilds. Yeah, for me, this seems like a, a fairly clear red cap melee. Like the Gruel cards here are cards that I like. Uh, there's also Merchant of the Veil and Garenberg Paladin at common, more Gruel cards. Um, but Red Cap Melee is just hyper-efficient, really strong removal spell. Yep, agree, and Paul does as well. Moving on to pack one, pick two, see the following cards as options. There's a Scorching Dragonfire at common, and then uncommons in the pack are Slaying Fire, Grumgully, and Foulmire Knight. Yeah, again, I think you, you follow up your red removal spell with another red removal spell here, and Slaying Fire gets the nod over Scorching Dragonfire for me. Yep, I agree, and does Paul... Moving on to pack one, pick three, you see the following cards as options. There's a golden egg, seven dwarves, two unveiled tree folk, and unexplained vision at common. And then in the uncommon slot, there is a burning yard trainer hanging out. This is kind of tough. Like, this is a little early for me to want to take burning yard trainer. Like with melee and slaying fire in my pile, I could be any flavor of red deck. I might not necessarily end up in a red aggro knights deck and if i don't this burning our trainer pick is kind of wasted if i take golden egg that's going to be best in blue red draw two and if i end up in a red aggro deck i'm probably not going to want the golden egg unless it's like sitting around for Flutterfox. but the other three commons that we mentioned seven dwarves tree folk unexplained vision like there's really no reason to take a non-red card here or non-colorless card so it's close for me between the trainer and the egg i think i would land on golden egg here yeah that's where i'm leaning as well but it's between golden egg and seven dwarves for me i think oh. there's something to be said about just trying to plant your flag as a seven dwarves drafter i've been very impressed with that card in mono red but i think ultimately it's a little too early for me to take it here 
So I think I would land on Golden Egg with you as well. Paul disagrees and took a flyer on the Burning Yard Trainer, maybe hoping to spike some mono-red aggro knights. Where'd he end up? If we take a look at his deck, he ended up in a red-blue card draw deck, and appropriately so, because none of the drafts we have examined as of yet, so three people passing to him have not been in red. So appropriately started red and stayed the course and got hooked up. Some standouts here in the deck. There's an Iron Crag Pyromancer at rare, which is the thing that lightning bolts whenever you draw your second card. It's also a copy of Mad Ratter to make those two rat tokens every time you draw your second card. Not a ton of premium enablers here. Got an opt, three thrill of possibilities, Merchant of the Veil. So some ways to draw cards. So this looks like a sort of atypical blue-red card draw deck. It's very base red and pretty aggressively slanted. There's four copies of Blood Haze Wolverine here as well as two copies of Steelgaze Griffin. So definitely looking to attack as part of drawing the two cards and three thrill of possibilities to go along with those four Blood Haze Wolverines as combat tricks. This looks like a tight little deck to me. I would expect this to 2-1 or 3-0. This deck, can I talk to you about my favorite part of this deck is that it's running a heraldic banner and I just want to know how many times Paul named Black to make his Mad Ratter tokens 2-1s. Ooh, interesting. That's what I want to know. But yeah, uh, looks like Paul went 2-1 with this blue-red deck. Yep, that sounds right. All right, moving on to player number five, we've got Michael Jeskolka. Pack one, pick one. You've got Reeve Soul, Fierce Witch Stalker, Scalding Cauldron, and then a Merrileaf Pixie and a Bog Naughty at Uncommon. And your rare is Acclaimed Contender. That's the two and a white, three, three human knight. When it ETBs, if you have another knight, you get to look at the top five cards of your library and reveal like a knight or a mythic equipment or something basically you're just revealing a knight uh, from the top of your deck so it's sort of like a, a draw draw card when when it comes into play if you're in that dedicated knight deck yeah i have not been super impressed with acclaimed contender when you get there it's a good card in your deck but you have to have a knight on the battlefield it's not always going to cantrip and even then you're just left with a three three and you have the chance of bricking what do you mean just left with a three it's a three mana three three that's not bad that's not bad but it's not outstanding I think I'm considering Reeve Soul and Fierce Witch Talker over it here. Pack one, pick one. And I think I would land on Reeve Soul as what I think the best card in the pack is. Interesting. I've been impressed enough with the claimed contender that I'm happy to first pick it here, but I could see Reeve Soul being the correct pick as well. Michael ended, ended up grabbing the rare here, moving on to pack one, pick two. We see a Garenbrig Paladin, a Merchant of the Veil. This is that Gruel pack. And then there's a Rampart Smasher and Escape to the Wilds as the rare. Yeah, so nothing great to go along with the first pick of Acclaimed Contender here from Michael. I think I would just be looking to take the best, most powerful card in the pack, which I think is Rampart Smasher. And I would be more than willing to feel out if Mono Red, Mono Green, or Gruel is open and abandon my Acclaimed Contender. I agree with that for sure. We're going to see a sort of a ripple here of folks not liking this rampart smasher quite a bit uh my goal is the start here he grabs garenberg paladin instead i mean it is a knight to go with the acclaimed contender though white green is really not trying to be a knight's deck per se moving on to pack one pick three he's got the options between scorching Dragonfire and then at uncommon grum gully and falmire knight are left yeah i think if you'd taken my route through the draft of Reeve Soul and a Rampart Smasher, I would be taking Grumgully here and looking to draft Gruul. I think a more conservative route would be taking Scorching Dragonfire here for me, but I, I still think I would I would try to take Grumgully. And with Michael's route of Acclaimed Contender into Garenberg Paladin, really just trying to feel it out, find a lane. 
I think there could be something to be said for seeing the Rampart Smasher and then seeing Rumgully and thinking Red Green's open and taking that. But I still think Scorching Dragon Fire would probably be a better pick for him just because you don't really know what you're doing yet and it's a much more flexible card that's probably close on power level. Are you taking Falmire Knight over Scorching Dragon Fire, pack one, pick one? No, I'm taking Scorching Dragon Fire over Falmire Knight, pack one, pick one. I think I'm on Knight over Dragonfire. So I think if I'm on the like flexibility route, like if I'm on Michael's route of acclaimed contender into Garenbrig Paladin, I would take Falamire Knight here just as what I believe to be the most powerful card in a vacuum. Yeah, Falamire Knight has been clunky for me. You keep saying this word clunky. It's a one mana one one death toucher. How is that clunky? I just I don't think a one mana one one death toucher is that relevant in the format against most of the strategies. Like Garenberg Paladin goes over it, Flyers go over it, Mill doesn't care about it. There's very few decks where the 1-1 Death Touch is really a giant problem for it. And then if you slow roll it and you draw your card and you trade it off, you got your two for one, but you spent four mana to do it. It just has felt, I mean, it's powerful. It just has felt very mana intensive. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like the card. I Just give me a two for one all day. <laughs> uh, so Michael landed on Scorching Dragonfire here, and then his deck, he ended up in green-white stuff, not really adventures, like he doesn't have any of the real payoffs. He does have a Faeborough Elder that's the rare one green-white, has like power and toughness equal to the color among permanents you control, and then also taps for colors among permanents you control. Not great in like uh, what's looking like an aggro deck. Like, you know, he's got some Silver Flame Squires, some Out Muscles, a Sir Allen at the top, but he's also playing some some clunkers here. Yeah, this looks like a medium deck. I would expect this to 1-2 or 2-1 on average. This looks aggressive without a lot of good two drops. Right, that's the problem. Is like it's an aggro deck, but before turn three, he has Guide Mother, Curious Pair, and Flutter Fox. Well, there's some Silver Flame Squires sitting in the three drop curve oh, as well. I know your favorite. Sure, yes. I do like that card. That is my favorite. You are right. No, I just meant things being in the wrong oh. converted mana cost. Well, I just, I just sort ass- your deck. assumed that you were working at Watsy coverage this weekend, just putting <laughs> cards and whatever CMC pile you wanted. <laughs> so Michael did end up with that deck and went one and two in the draft. Moving on to our next player, player six. This is Bradley. Yu. sits down and sees the following cards as options. Pack one, pick one at common. There's a curious pair and a charm sleep. And then at Uncommon, Sage of the Falls, Cauldron Familiar, and a rare in the pack, Castle Lockthwain. Yeah, I'm I'm down on the castles these days, even though I think Lockthwain is probably one of the better ones. Um, and I think I would take Sage of the Falls over probably not all the commons, but certainly the ones that we've got listed here, Curious Pair and Charmed Sleep. And I love Cauldron Familiar quite a bit, but um, I don't think I want to take that over Sage. I, I like Sage you know, a fair amount, and I'd be happy to take it first here. Agreed. Yep, I'm on Sage as well, and Bradley agrees with the both of us. Moving on to pack one, pick two, see the following cards as options. There's the Reeve Soul, Fierce Witchstalker, Scalding Cauldron, Bog Naughty, and Marleaf Pixie that we saw that Michael is passing to Bradley here. I would be just taking what I think is the best card in a vacuum, which is Reeve Soul here. Yep, I agree. I think Reeve Soul is better than Bog Naughty. That's what I would be on as well. Bradley disagrees and landed on Bog Naughty as the pick. Yeah, second person in the pod today to uh, second pick a Bog Naughty. Yeah, and I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me going along with Sage of the Falls and starting off with two five drops, so I, I don't love that pick there. No, I agree. Moving on to pack one, pick three, see the following cards as options. At common, there's Tempting Witch and a Merchant of the Veil, and then at uncommon, those Gruel cards that are flying around the table here, Rampart Smasher and Escape to the Wilds. 
Yeah, I would. I mean, if it was good enough second pick for our previous player, I think it's good enough third pick here to take a flyer on Rampart Smasher and see if Gruel is open. I agree. I would have also landed on Rampart Smasher here. Bradley disagreed, stayed the course with the Bognati uh, that he just picked up and slammed a Tempting Witch here. I think that's just too early to take a card the power level of Tempting Witch over cards like Rampart Smasher. And I even as loath as I am to say it, Escape to the Wilds. Well, the thing is, is that when you see, and and I guess it just depends, if you think Escape to the Wilds is terrible or whatever, then you're not going to think about it this way, but it's not terrible, and so you should think about it this way, is that <laughs> with Rampart Smasher, that's not a dig at you. I mean, like, I, we, both of you and I, I think, are about the same on this card. I think you're just trying to combat people telling you it's a bomb when it's not. Um, but, like, you see Rampart Smasher next to Escape to the Wilds, I think that should be a even though it's only pick three, that should be somewhat of a signal to you. And so when you take Rampart Smasher as the most powerful card in the pack as a Gruul signal here, which you should, even if Gruul isn't open, you will be fine to not have taken the Tempting Witch because if Black is open, you'll get Tempting Witches. You're not going to miss the Tempting Witch here, whereas you will miss the Rampart Smasher if Gruul is what your seat's supposed to do. Amen. So what happened to this draft? So if we take a look at the final deck, uh, Bradley started with blue and black cards and ended the draft with blue and black cards. Sort of a blue-black control-ish deck here. No real standout cards. I mean, there's there's tools here to win games. There's some good removal in Bake. There's a Revenge of Ravens. There's double Moonlit Scavengers at the top of the curve, but not a ton of focus to the deck here. Just sort of a pile of blue and black cards. There's a folio of fancies that you could potentially win games with, but pretty mismatched collection of cards here looks like to me there's not a lot of there's only one so tiny so not a lot of that cheap interaction that you'd want with folio fancies there's two copies of runaway together but again only three creatures to cast before turn three so yeah i I would agree that it just seems like blue black stuff to me yeah would not have expected that deck to perform well and it did not record went one and two all right, moving on to the other featured drafter at the table. This is Shahar Shenhar, pack one, pick one. He's got a Reaper of Night, Shepherd of the Flock, Okame Adversary. That's the two, three green death toucher that draws a card when it connects with your opponent. And the rare is Witch's Vengeance, one black, black for the sorcery. Uh, creatures of the type of your choice get minus three, minus three until end of turn. Yeah, I'm going to quickly narrow this down to Okame Adversary versus Witch's Vengeance. I think that's a fairly close pick. I have been very impressed by Okame Adversary, and I think I would land on that over Witch's Vengeance, but I imagine that's a fairly contentious pick for people. Yeah, I mean, I don't need to talk about why I don't like Witch's Vengeance anymore, but I would definitely take Adversary over it. Witch's Vengeance is not a card that I'm uh, excited to first pick. I do think Witch's Vengeance is defensible here as the first pick, though. Yeah, it's fine. It's defensible. I, I, th- I might even take Shepherd of the Flock over it. It's just it's yeah, I just don't. My experience with it has not been positive, but I don't want to don't want to taint other people or, or get a lot of, you know, messages in discord telling me about how wrong I am. Um, Shahar grabbed Witch's Vengeance here. Pack one, pick two. He's looking at Curious Pair, Charmed Sleep, Cauldron Familiar and Castle Lockthwain. Yeah, feeling pretty bad if you're Shahar here. Not great options. I think the best card of those four is Charm Sleep, which is a pretty bad place to be. And I think I would take Charm Sleep here no matter how I started the draft, but I would not be happy about it. I said this when I was doing coverage, but I would be on Cauldron Familiar here as a follow-up to Witch's Vengeance. I I like Cauldron Familiar a lot, and I think taking it early has some benefits. Yeah, I could certainly see that as reasonable. I mean, I think 
yeah, this is just a weak pack. Cauldron Familiar is a high upside card. I don't like, I don't hate that at all. Uh, Shahar just grabbed the Charm Slate, but this is just an issue that I have. Like in Eldraine, one of the reasons I think it's a sweet set is like, Already, I'm thinking about my mana base and Charm Sleep and Witch's Vengeance are going to be tough cards to put in the same deck. I agree. Hoping to not put those in the same deck. Uh, pack three, he's looking at the Reeve Soul, Fierce Witch Stalker, Scalding Cauldron, Merrileaf Pixie choices. Yeah, I think, you know, if you start with Witch's Vengeance, I think Reeve Soul's a natural pairing with that here. If you had started with OK Adversary like you and I did, I think you would land on Fierce Witch Stalker. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with the Shahara's route through the draft, I would expect him to take Reeve Soul. And he did. So he's got Vengeance, Charm Sleep, and Reeve Soul. We're able to go a little bit deeper here than three picks. Pack four, he's got an Opt, a Steel Gaze Griffin, a Signpost Scarecrow, Merchant of the Veil as commons to think about. And then we still see that little package, Rampart Smasher and Escape to the Wilds. Yeah, just absolutely inexcusable that Rampart Smasher and Escape to the Wilds have made it this far around the table. And I would, again, take Rampart Smasher here as what I believe the best card in the pack is and a very big signal here, fourth pick. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have even listed Opt as cards to think about in this pack, except it's the card that Shahar took. Yikes. Yeah, that was tough for me. I feel like every time we do these like round the table MCPT discussions, there's always one card that like we're like, and is this player going to take it? Is this player going to take it? And that card, this draft is Rampart Smasher. Yeah, I mean, Shahar is a two time world champ, so hard to criticize his drafting here. But I do feel pretty strongly that Rampart Smasher is the correct pick here. And I think taking opt is forcing pretty hard in a format that does not reward sticking to your lane at all and it's not like he opened something worth forcing for you know like right. which is vengeance charm sleep reef soul is not a reason to be like fist pump we're doing it i've got the <laughs> nut start to a blue black deck you know right well and getting past you by bradley you who ended up blue black here so we'll see how the rest of this works out for shahar yeah so uh pick five he's got a steel gaze griffin lost legion prized griffin and grum gully as uh, his choices so now if I'm Shahar and I took Opt last pick, I'm still with this Grum Gully here. I'm still thinking, OK, green red is open. Maybe I'm a little late on realizing the signals, you know, kicking myself for not having picked Rampart Smasher last pick. But I think you got to put your big boy pants on, find the signal here and take Grum Gully. Yep. Uh, no big boy pants found here. Lost Legion. Blinders up. We're on blue black here. Um, picks round out with just like. Nothing exciting. I mean, we know that the packs were fairly weak here in in the first uh, pack here for these players. Uh, Shahar takes a corridor monitor next, a memory theft after that, and then a Mistford River Turtle eighth. I mean, these are like sideboard and like last pick cards we're seeing him take in the middle of this pack. Yeah, and that memory theft was over a Marleaf Pixie, which I think also you should probably be willing to take a chance on at this point in the draft because your draft is not going well and maybe you have outs to be in blue green. But what you didn't know, Ben, was that Chahar was going to open Lockmere Serpent pack two, pick one. <laughs> I I was watching this draft on coverage, and I when he opened like Chahar's you know thing in Magic is lucky Chahar, and I was just thinking, are you kidding me? Like, what <laughs> what is it like to be that lucky? So he opens the Lockmere Serpent, and and that I mean, obviously he was already just going to stay the course no matter what, but that really solidified him to do so. Uh, opened an Emery Lurker of the Lock in pack three though didn't really get there in terms of like no eggs, no cauldrons to go with it. Um, And you can see his final deck is like really nothing special. It's a lot of clunky cards. And then 
Wishclaw Talisman to find Lockmere Serpent. Yeah, I mean, that's a game plan, though. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's a game plan that was good enough to go to one. All right, moving on to our last player in the pod, player eight, Mike Sigrist, a.k.a. Siggy, sits down and sees the following cards, pack one, pick one, as options. At common, there's a Rosethorn Acolyte and a So Tiny. And then uncommons, there's Sir Cara the Bold, is that right? Mm -hmm. Sir Alan the Lion's Claw, and Covetous Urge, the Demir Uncommon, and Castle Garenbrig as your rare not in consideration. Yeah, so for me, I'm going to quickly narrow this down to Sir Kara and Covetous Urge. I think Sir Alan is a, a, a third behind those other two. This is close for me. I'm a little lower on Sir Kara these days because I think while it's a very inherently powerful card, it doesn't slot into a lot of decks in a very like synergistic way. You know, it's good in a more controlling deck, though red doesn't really want to be more controlling. Uh, if you're in like red, white knights, it's fine, but you almost would rather have like prized Griffin really at the top of your curve. Like you just want stuff to like beat down your opponent. So I'm a little lower on Sir Kara here and I might've taken Covetous Surge, but it's very close between those, those two cards for me. Yeah, I think I land on Sir Kara, but I'm, I'm again with you. I'm between Sir Kara and Covetous Surge. Mike agrees with Sarkara as the pick and landed on that over Covetous Urge. Moving on with pack one, pick two, sees the following cards as options. There's a Brimstone Trebuchet, a Reaper of Night, Shepherd of the Flock at Uncommon, and Okame Adversary at Uncommon. Yeah, so we wanted to take Okame Adversary uh, the last time we saw it, and I want to take it again here as the best card in the pack. Yep, I agree. Best card in the pack. Mike agrees as well and snatched that up. Moving on to pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. There's a Curious Pair, Embereth Paladin, Ginger Brute at Common. Uncommon, there's the Cauldron Familiar and the rare in the pack, Castle Lockthwain. So this is that really weak pack we've seen going around the table. Yeah, this is super weak. I don't know what I would take here. I might still just grab Cauldron Familiar just because it's got the highest upside, I think, of the cards in the pack. But I could see taking Castle Lockthwain here. It's just so, so color committing. And then even then, it's it's just so often a swamp. Yeah, I don't love the castle. I think after taking Okame okay Adversary, I would actually be on Curious Pair here just to kind of cut green. I think it does fine work. Maybe you end up in green black food and you're really happy you've got the Curious Pair. But regardless, I, I don't think your pick matters here much for the overall course of the draft. It's a really interesting way to describe it. And I think it's hard for some people to wrap their head around. But I, I do agree that like at the end of the day, this pick just doesn't quite matter. Right, because it's it's so low power level and you don't know what your lane is yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and this this pick is not going to dictate what your lane is, and that's ultimately the name of the game in the draft format. Right. All right, moving on to pack four, Mike gets gifted Rampart Smasher and appropriately picks it here. Hallelujah. Yes. Pick five, he snatches up the Grum Gully that we've seen flying around the table and is on track to draft a sick green-red deck. Yes. Pick six, picks up a two-and-veil tree folk. And if we check out Mike's final deck, he did end up Gruul, double Rampart Smasher, has the Grumgully, has the Sarkara, a couple Barge in as tricks, some Ginger Brutes to beat down with, Rosethorn Halberd to augment them, some Rimrock Knights to push some damage, good removal in Scorching Dragon Fire. I mean, for how open Green Red appeared to be, this deck isn't like quite as busted as I would have thought it would be, but still a very, very solid looking deck here. Yeah, this deck is great. It was really fun. So Mike was seated between Shahar and Jess Estefan, who were the two feature drafters. So it was fun to like get to piece together 
the deck that he was drafting. Like once we saw Jess's deck, it was clear that he got into Gruul, uh, which made me happy because I felt like this was the underrated deck at the table. And I'm glad that Mike like appropriately analyzed that and moved into it when he should have and got a really sweet deck. And his games on coverage were awesome. Oh, yeah, I did not. I did not get a chance. I watched all of the drafts. I have not watched any of the gameplay. I would uh, highly recommend to our listeners, if you have not watched any of the Mythic Championship coverage, to at least go and watch game three of match three uh, from the featured round. That's uh, when we saw Siggy going for the trophy and he did get the W, uh, but the way he navigated that game was just awesome. And also worth noting this deck that Mike ended up with, the three players to his right could have drafted if they had so chosen. Yes, like that would have really made a huge ripple down the line. Like I think we would have seen some big shifts. You know, we see these Maraleaf Pixies going around the table early. That was another thing that I I noticed. So there's no blue-green drafter at the table. We can sort of go and and check out a synopsis here of what we've got. We do have two people in like each other's business next to each other and the two blue-black drafters. But then we've got all independent of each other, a black-green, a blue-white, a blue-red, a green-white, a red-green, and a mono white but with two Maryleaf pixies we still don't see anyone in blue green right that's ridiculous somebody should have ended up with both of those Maryleaf pixies and been in blue green i think mm-hmm. and i think we're seeing you know with the blue red player and the red green drafter those are the only two red decks at the table and both of those players went either 2-1 or 3-0 so i think picking up on uh that color being perhaps underrated by the other players at the table yeah absolutely I think it's always very cool, especially in this format, to see the cards that, you know, we think are signals go around the table a little later than they should, even at the highest levels of play. Yeah, for sure. Draft is difficult. (laughs) Indeed. All right. I think that's a great place to wrap us up. Super fun, as always, going over the Mythic Championship drafts. And hopefully, if we keep bugging them enough, they'll give us back the full draft for each player at the featured pods. Would Would love to get that back in action. Agreed. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. Ben is back, baby. Marching band season is over. Hopefully, we'll see him streaming some more. Twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome for him. That's Mr. spelled out. Twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware for me. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, feel free to shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. There's Drown in the Lock, the blue-black gold uncommon that either lets you counter-target spell with convert a mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in your opponent's graveyard, or destroy target creature with convert a mana cost not... Wait, what? No. Yes. Just Just convert a mana cost?
Yeah. No. What, what do you think it is? It's not minus X minus X. It is. Wow. Area man, with, area man with 120 drafts under his belt, still doubted by his <laughs> podcast co-host about what cards do. <laughs> Look, I got I to stick to my guns. <clears throat> You're nothing if not confident. <laughs> There's Drown in the Lock, the blue-black... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.